sharing, and so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers, and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today on the show, we have one half of the duo behind bootleg jerky, Ash Razmi. Ash was on a trip in the States when he tasted his first craft beef jerky and couldn't get enough. After trying various recipe combinations hundreds of times, they launched in 2019. Their jerky is miles apart from the tough rubbery stuff you'll get at the petrol shop and proudly contains no ingredients that are unpronounceable. We talked to him about their journey, why they've gone from garage to contract manufacturer to their own facility and their plans for jerky domination. So without further ado, let's welcome Ash. Hi Ash, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So let's dig right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up? Was food always a feature for you? Uh, yeah, it was actually, to be honest. Um, I was born in Iran, so the, the food that we had growing up uh, that my mum and auntie cooked for us um, when we came over to New Zealand was, was always totally different to what we sort of were used to seeing our mates eating. Um, you know, the, the food that they make is so rich in spices and so many different flavors and it's, you know, typically marinated and they have big, you know, they're, they're big on their, their barbecues and kebabs and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, it was pretty big. Yeah, we used to eat some pretty tasty things and our lunch boxes always look pretty different to all of our mates. Oh yeah, that was the case for me as well. So since you're from Iran, so I'm actually um, Parsi and our ancestors are from Iran as well. Well, when I say ancestors are like thousand years ago. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so we have a lot of like Persian influence to our food as well. Um, I'm wondering, did you have any like Zeresh Kapulo like growing up? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that was one of my favorite things. It was delicious. It was nice and sour and my mum mm. still makes it for me now. So, oh, yeah, okay. Really so then I should hit you up for where I can get the Zeresh berries in New Zealand because I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. My mum, I think, uh, has some sort of stockist in uh, Wairau Valley somewhere, I think. They, they sell all sorts of stuff. You can buy bulk saffron from there and all oh, that sort of lovely. good stuff. Awesome. <laughs> See, I love doing these podcasts for exactly this reason. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get back to your story. Tell me about this uh, trip you took to America. When did you go there? What happened? Uh, so I went to the States in 2018. Uh, maybe it was 19. No, it was 18. Um, and it was on a work trip. It was a conference in Las Vegas and we were driving from uh, LA to Vegas. And we sort of took a bit of a back, back road. And uh, while we were in LA, we were asking all the locals, you know, like we're, we're doing this long drive. I think it was five hours or something. Um, you know, what have we got to stop and see here? Um, and they all sort of said, oh, you got to stop at a place called Baker. Um, it's a, they've got the world's biggest thermometer there. And I was like, okay, sweet. So we'll do that. So we drove out of the way and we found this thermometer and we were sort of expecting, a, you know, like one of those big mercury probes with the red, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we got there and it was just like a big sign and, you know, running up the sign, it had all the different temperatures and whatever temperature it was, it was just lit up. 
so it was really disappointing. It was a big waste of time, and we were sort of bummed that everyone had. Uh, we we so sort the of LNP figured it was. bottle is way better. Yeah, I mean, it was probably about as you know interesting as the LNP <laughs> bottle. Um, but yeah, so that was a bummer. You know, we, we drove all the way there for nothing. But right next to that thing, there was a place called Alien Jerky or UFO Jerky or something horrible like that. And like I had not really eaten much beef jerky because you can't really get anything in New Zealand. Um, you know, like I'd, I'd always made biltong myself and sort of done done that sort of thing. And so we went to the jerky outlet and there was hundreds of different flavors of beef jerky and it was all really sort of tacky and horrible. Like there was a crashed UFO in the building and all oh, the flavors shit. had all these really horrible, you know, uh, just, just really tacky names. But so I bought, you know, five or six different flavors and we were driving towards Vegas with my old boss. And uh, we sort of just got to talking and I said, oh, do you reckon this would work in New Zealand? And we sort of, you know, both came to the conclusion that it wouldn't just because we wouldn't, you know, if you had a spot, there wouldn't be enough traffic coming through there, you know, like whereas there's a lot of traffic going through Vegas and there's going to be a lot of new people and plus they've got 350 million people there, right? Yeah. Um, so we sort of said, oh, no, it's not going to work. Um, but, yeah, I was just really stoked with the – the options and the, the stuff that I got was like their sort of their natural flavored versions. And yeah. And then, so we ate that and didn't really think too much of it. And then, yeah, came back to New Zealand and tried to find something similar and there wasn't really anything other than, you know, the red rubbery stuff you're used to getting in the supermarket. So I sort of just did nothing with it. Okay. And so you're telling me that the, Basically, the beef jerky that you get in America is radically different than to the ones that we get at the petrol station. Because I have actually not had jerky until I moved to New Zealand. And the ones I've had is really rubbish. I had it like once and I was like, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's just a massive, uh, like they, they, they sort of, they call it a craft jerky. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you would equate it to a craft beer, for example. You know, like you can buy your traditional beers that you can buy from anywhere, you know, your, your, your Heineken's and Lion Reds and that sort of thing. Um, but then obviously you've got your craft breweries that are sort of more focused on doing slightly different flavors and, you know, trying different ways of manufacturing where they're not putting additives in and they're not mass producing it. And they're sort of doing it more for, you know, just, just the product that they're putting out has got to be good quality, you know? So we, yeah. the, the, the craft jerky scene over there is huge. I think when we were looking, there was something like 600 different craft jerky manufacturers there. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a big thing there. I mean, they still have their gas station jerkies for sure. And it's the same brands that you have here, you know, the big, big national multinational companies. Um, but yeah, the craft jerky that I had, I was like, that, that sort of looked like meat, you know, it didn't look like red, rubbery, sugary rubbish. Mm. So when I came back, I started looking online and trying different recipes and mucked around for a little bit, trying to get the processes right. I mean, the, the problem is, is not, you can't really get too much information locally because there's not that many people doing it. Um, so yeah, it, it is different for sure. I mean, the, the biggest thing is typically that it's not filled with sugar and it's not, uh, it's not really got artificial flavorings and preservatives and that sort of thing in it. Whereas your mass produced stuff does. 
Okay. But um, so you had this idea. And so where did you, how did you go? Because do, you don't have a background in food, right? So tell me a little bit about, um, you obviously had this idea that you wanted to make some craft jerky as well. But um, how, like, walk me through the story. How did you actually test this out? And was it, was it quite hard to kind of make it yourself at home? Uh, yeah, so when, when we came back, like I'd always had, I'd always made uh, like biltong, which is a different form of uh, dried meat. So it's like, yep. a, I'm sure you know what it is. And I'm sure your listeners probably know what it is. But basically, it's a slab of meat that's dried in big chunks. And it's a South African food. It's really tasty. Um, but it's typically brined in vinegar and coriander and salt and pepper. So, I mean, the, the South African biltong is sort of developed to be just that and anything, anything other than that, you know, they don't really, you know, it's sort of sacrilege to, to go away from those flavors. Yeah. So I started looking at jerky and the, the cool thing is because you're cooking jerky, like we, we cook it to the point that it's pasteurized. So you don't have to put all that um, vinegar and that sort of stuff in it to preserve it. Um, so it opens you up to a whole lot of new flavors. So basically all I did was just looked online for, you know, the core base of a jerky marinade and then we just started tweaking the recipes we tried heaps of different flavors there was probably a dozen flavors that were probably not fit for human consumption that that we <laughs> gave, gave to our friends and Which family one, t- to, tell me one of those uh well it wasn't so much a flavor it was just you know, we didn't really know what we were doing so like you know you'd put in if you didn't if you don't put enough salt in for example it's not going to preserve the meat so it'll just get moldy really quickly um there's it, because you're you're dealing with such a thin piece of meat, you know, like getting the marinade to absorb at the correct rate is really hard. So if you go over or under sugar or salt or any of the ingredients, it's it makes a huge difference to the the final product. Um, so we would be giving samples out to our mates, and they'd be trying it, and they'd sort of look at you and be like, "Oh, I don't know, that one wasn't that good." <laughs> Um, so once we sort of had a few flavors, like I made it for maybe 18 months or something. And, you know, my mates were like, yeah, this is pretty good. You know, we've never tried anything like this. This is something that's totally different. Um, and then I started looking into it and I was sort of like, cause I have a sales and marketing sort of background. Um, I started looking into why is no one else doing this? You know, we could have a little gap in the market here. And there is another company that does it in the South Island and they do a really good product too. Um, so I started looking into how we could basically grow into a little company. So initially my brother was part of bootleg jerky. He's no longer part of it anymore. Um, but he owns a digital marketing company. Mm-hmm. So he sort of said, Oh, why don't we just, you know, we can just make a website. Um, and you made the jerky and we'll, we'll make the website and we'll just sell it online and we'll go to the markets and stuff and see what happens. Yep. Um, so we started with that. But the whole time I sort of said, oh, well, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. And everyone else has the same theme of, you know, just the the the, the bullhorns and the cowboys and Indians type theme where it's, you know, the yeah. wild, wild west. And I thought, well, why don't we just try to make it a real premium? We'll only use premium ingredients. We'll only use premium beef, which is really hard to sort of do economically. Yes, of course. Um, We'll only use the best stuff. We'll make our packaging look really good. We'll make all of our branding really, 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 really different to what everyone else is used to getting. Because I think everyone just associates beef jerky with something that's cheap and nasty from the gas station. Yeah. Um, 
So we're like, well, we can make it, if it's all using premium ingredients, why don't we make it look premium? So we spent a lot, a lot of time doing the branding, getting the, the, the voice and everything to be consistent. Um, we made all the packaging, we got all that in, in bulk. So we're sort of committed to it. Um, and then, yeah, we just started selling online and at the local sort of, um, farmer's markets. Um, and it just sort of snowballed and I was like, well, I don't really like being at these farmer's markets. It's, <laughs> we have, we have a one-year-old daughter at the time. Um, of course. I was like, this is a waste of my time. We're here all day and we, we might sell 500 bucks worth, you know, and you'd sort of spent your whole day there. So I was like, well, why don't we try to put it into some stockers? So we started all the shelf life testing and, you know, dealing with all these different consultants because, you know, you sort of need to know your strengths and weaknesses. So I was like, well, I don't really know anything about food safety. Um, well, I do now at the time. I, you know, I, I didn't know any of the, the background behind it. So we worked with some consultants and, and got all the information we needed, did all the lab testing to make sure that, it was all going to be shelf stable for long enough. Um, and then, yeah, we, so we had another product and then it was like, okay, we need to make more. So we looked into how hard it would have been to start our own factory and it was going to be expensive and impossible. And we didn't have, we didn't want to, I didn't want to quit my job. I had a really good job at the time. Um, I didn't want to quit my job and just be like, um, you know, I'm selling beef jerky now. We've got a mortgage. We've got a kid. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I'm, I'm in a similar position to you. Like I have my own business as well and I have a great job right now. So I can totally feel you. But um, let's yeah. sort of step back and um, so tell me, I, I get why you wanted to make it look really premium. And, you know, there's this lovely story on your website about bootleg liquor and jerky. And I'm wondering, um, was uh, jerky actually invented around that time or is that something that's just part of the story <laughs> no no jerky was invented much much before that it was done you know as a way of preserving hunted meat that you'd shot before they had you know uh, refrigeration or anything like that so they would they would dehydrate their meat so that it would last longer um okay. the boot the bootleg story was actually when we were halfway through doing all this paperwork to try and get you know the ability to sell and distribute um into retailers um, I got sick of all the paperwork and one night I sort of said to my missus, you know, I can't be bothered with this. We should just bootleg this out the back of my car, you know, screw all this paperwork. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's a pretty cool name. So we sort of just stuck with that. And then we sort of said, well, let's create a story around that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, all, I mean, all the stories about them being, you know, the, involved with the mob, all of that is made up but it's, um, it's been really fun to sort of come up with those stories and keep the brand right. um, on And I point. love um, all your Instagram videos, especially the latest one <laughs> where the, yeah, yeah, you tie up fun. the food inspector like that yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, the funniest thing about that is the uh, we actually did tie up the real inspector as well. Um, <laughs> when, he, when he came to do the audit of our new facility, um, we sort of said to him, look, man, this is what we're doing. Uh, would you be okay with us tying you up? And he sort of said, oh, well, I've been doing this for a long time and I've never never really done that before, but yeah, let's do it. So we tied him up and took a photo and we posted that online too. Um, okay. So yeah, we're, it's been fun keeping the brand sort of, and you know, And that didn't have consistent. an impact on you getting your license? <laughs> no, I made sure that we had passed before I did that. Okay. <laughs> 
point to note for all aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all just about having a bit of fun, right? Like we're not ever going to get rich from selling beef jerky. So we may as well have a bit of fun doing it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, you talked about this kind of shelf life testing and how, um, that can be quite hard and tedious. Like, was there a moment when you just felt like you, like this, what you wanted to just give up of like, because I know that I've just been looking into shelf life testing some of my own, um, curry paste. So I have a little curry paste business on the side and, um, I contacted one of these labs and they gave me a quote for like six grand or something like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite an expensive affair, but, um, tell us like, was there any kind of challenges or like moments where you felt like, nah, this wasn't worth it? Yeah. I mean, we still get that almost every day now. Like it's, it's Mm. really hard work. We only have a really small team. Um, early on it was sort of like, yeah, I can't really be bothered with this. We can sort of see why no one else has gone down this route. It's a lot Mm. of paperwork. You know, you're selling a meat product that people are going to be eating. You definitely don't want to make them sick. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was heaps of times where we're, and that's part of the, the whole bootleg thing is, you know, that, that was sort of the lowest point. We're just like, oh, I can't be bothered. It was just, everything costs a lot of money as well. You know, you do yeah. one test here and it's, you know, 500 bucks and you do another thing here and it's like, sweet. And it was another thousand bucks. And then suddenly we've like spent 20 grand and we have done nothing. Yeah. Um, and so that was part of the reason why we used a contract manufacturer. Okay. Um, we, you know, we were looking at setting up and I was like, Oh, I'm going to come in and I'll put the jerky on in the mornings. It takes all day to dry and then I'll go to work and then I'll come back and then we'll package it in the night. And we were just like, that is never going to work. We're going to just burn ourselves out. So we found a small, uh, like meat processing place in Silverdale and sort of said, Oh, you know, would you guys be interested if I bought all the equipment, would you guys be interested in processing everything for us? Mm. And we sort of, you know, went back and forth and they ended up doing it for almost a year. Okay. And I sort of always had a plan. I was like, well, I'm going to give this a year and I'm going to push it as hard as I can. And in a year I'll evaluate what we're doing. Um, and within that year we had been stocked into places like Farrow's, um, Smith and Coe's and probably about 80 or 90 uh, independent sort of bottle stores and, you know, hunting shops and that sort of stuff. Oh, and that's we were sort amazing. Of, yeah. So we were starting to get a bit of a following. So I was like, you know, we really, one of the biggest problems we had was quality control with the contract manufacturers. I mean, they were okay and they were mm. nice enough people, but it was when you use a contract manufacturer for something like that, they don't really care too much about your product and they're not going to, they're not going to tweak things. And, you know, you'd ask them to tweak something and it was like, you've just, you know, you've ruined their day. Um, so I, I do sort of, I definitely don't regret using a contract manufacturer because we wouldn't have been able to, you know, focus on our selling because we would have been yeah. focused just on manufacturing. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I definitely don't regret using them, but you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit bummed that there was definitely some products, you know, some batches that they'd send out and I was like, oh man, that one was pretty dry or that one had no flavor and there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then we got into a whole new kettle of fish setting up our own place. That was like the, the most admin I've ever had to do <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on top of everything else. So, uh, okay. And so did you, um, at what point in the journey did you decide that you wanted to now do this full time? Uh, so I gave it exactly a year. So we launched in October, 2019. Um, 
And I sort of said, oh, well, I'm going to give it till October 2020 and see what's going on. And of course, 2020 was a pretty shitty year for, for everyone. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm either going to have to go full commit and give it, you know, a solid nudge or I'm just going to just, you know, call it quits because I can't do both. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke to my boss and he said, oh, look, I'm, I'm a bit bummed to lose you, but I think really you got to give it a nudge. I think it's got some legs. So they were really supportive of it. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, well, the only way I can do it is if, if we take over the manufacturer so we're not outsourcing that cost. Um, right. So we worked again with some really good consultants um, and we actually turned the downstairs of our house into a full MPI-approved facility. So we've got a, a big double garage and a rumpus room. Mm. Um, so we converted that. It's all got plastic walls and you know, tiled floors and it's all, yeah, it's all kosher and got it all set up. So, yeah. And then we were sort of um, lockdown proof as well because they're always working from home. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you, don't, if you run out of things to watch on Netflix, you can always just go make some more jerky. Yeah, we don't have time for Netflix anyway. So <laughs> it's, all, all we do is live and breathe jerky at the moment, which is testing at times, but it's all good. Yeah. Definitely. So since you are kind of, you know, selling at so many stores, give me a sense of how much, how much jerky and how many packets you must be making a day. Cause that must be really intense. Yeah. It's not that much. I mean, all our batches are done by hand and they're all really small. So we only make about 250 bags a day, okay. um, but we're making it every day um, and just sending them out to the stores. So most of the stores wear fresh stock. It's only, you know, a week or so old and they'll turn it over in a month and they'll get another order. In. So, um, you know, we're not at the moment, we're not trying to keep up with the gas station guys. We, we, we would rather focus on making a really good product and, you know, having full control over it. Definitely. Um, so one of the unique things you said is around the fact that your jerky um, doesn't contain the nitrates and the artificial preservatives, but does that mean that it's quite a small shelf life then? Uh, not so much. I mean, we still get, we still put six months on our, on our shelf life, which is sort okay. of plenty for what we're doing. Um, I mean, the nitrates and the nitrates are more, uh, the, the cures and those are more to kill bacteria mm. while it's in sort of the danger zone while it's being processed. And because we're using really good quality meat, um, like we only use prime New Zealand beef, um, you know, the, we don't use the cheap sort of bull or any of that sort of stuff that you'd get the cheaper, the cheaper cuts of meat. Um, we only use prime New Zealand beef. Um, so we, and, we, and because we're careful, we've only got two people here manufacturing it. We don't really have to worry too much about, um, you know, the, the food being spoiled while we're processing it. Whereas if you imagine a, a massive factory with 30 or 40 staff, there's a lot of room for error. Um, so, I mean, we use salt to preserve our stuff like they did in the olden days. Um, and then we also bring it up to a, a slightly higher temperature to sort of pasteurize the, the beef before okay. we dry it. Okay. Right. Interesting. So tell me, you have now sold, you know, direct to consumer at the farmer's markets, you're on the shelves, you're selling online. What What is like the better strategy? Uh, I think they all sort of have their own unique sort of perks and, and, and weaknesses. I mean, the, the markets were cool. You can't really do a hell of a lot of volume out of there, um, which, you know, if, you, if you're a sort of a one-man band 
and it's a, it's a lifestyle thing for you. I totally get why you do it because it is really fun. You meet some really cool people and, um, you know, everyone's sort of like-minded. Um, for us, we wanted to have a company that we could sort of scale to the point where we could move to a farm out of Auckland and build a bigger factory there. Okay. Um, so with that sort of, you know, you need to be able to move some, some decent volume. So I think, I mean, a, 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 a mixture of online direct-to-consumer and also going through decent stockists. I mean, we've had stockists that have been pretty hopeless. Like I won't name anyone, but you know, they just won't, they're really impossible to deal with. They don't really support your product. You know, they sort of want you to not do good. Um, so they're not going to push your product. So we've sort of slowly been learning, you know, where to put all of our eggs. Um, and at the moment we're just working on some stuff with, uh, some of the supermarket chains and, and that sort of stuff to get, to get the volume through them because it's a convenience product at the end of the day. It is, you know, the, the, the more places you've got it where people frequent, the more likely they are to pick it up. Um, but at the same time, being able to deal directly with our customers through our website is really good too. Like we do probably 400 orders a month online. Oh, okay. um, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them are regular customers, but we also sort of, you know, like we engage with them a lot. Like we all send out surveys. Hey, what did you think of this batch? You know, we're, we're trying a new flavor. What do you think of this? And, um, you know, we don't want to just, if we're selling it directly to them, there needs to be some sort of perk in it for them. So we are actually working on something really cool at the moment. We haven't finished it yet, so I won't go too far into it, but it's, um, it's going to give them a reason to sort of want to sign up to us, you know, getting free bits and pieces and exclusive offers and, yeah, we're yeah. working on something cool, which we'll release soon. Well, that's that's really cool because I think the key part is if you're selling food online, it's about how do you create that habit, right? Because, um, I mean, we don't have like a big kind of Amazon type thing in New Zealand where you could just do like all your groceries or all your kind of craft product buying from that one place. So then you have to make sure they keep coming back to your website, which I presume is the hardest bit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there is some cool um, websites that are sort of virtual farmers markets. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the, one of the, the things with food is you need to be able to get samples to people. So you need them to be able to, um, you know, that's why the, the, the farmers markets do work well for a, a newer company because they're going to, you know, they're going to walk past. A lot of people have never tried jerky, like the jerky that we've got. So, you know, it's easy for us to put an ad up, but they're not going to, you know, they can't taste the ad. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of the tasting and stuff like that is really important for food, which you just can't do online. Um, so, yeah, I th you know, if we can get, find a better way of getting samples to people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's something we're working on now. Okay. And um, so then tell me a little bit about what's the big picture. What are you hoping to achieve in the next five years? Uh, we want to get out of Auckland. I mean, that was the, the whole reason we started, you know, going down the route of we're going to take over manufacturer. So if we can sell the spot we've got now, um, move to, you know, it, it was always going to be a lifestyle thing for us. Like we, like I said, we're not, we're, we went out to try and, get rich from selling beef jerky but <laughs> if it gave us the option of going and setting up our own farm somewhere where we could have our own factory um okay. that's the only vision i've got at the moment you know how we get there i'm not sure we're sort of working on it at the moment trying to get into yeah. some more stockists and sell a bit more jerky i guess but it's more going to be probably focused on education more than you know product yeah. development or anything like that it's um 
I think if a lot of people knew exactly what they were eating with the cheaper stuff, um, you know, it might sort of sway them, you know, like in a, in a gas station jerky in a 40 gram serving, there might be 13 or 14 grams of sugar, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like our sweetest flavor only has one gram of sugar and that's just for, for taste. Oh, wow. Um, so that's- yeah, we're, we're going to do a big push on just educating and, you know, there's a lot of companies out there selling stuff that are, you know, marketing themselves as clean, green, and, you know, this is how nature wanted it. And, you know, and then you flip over the packet and it's full of preservatives and colors and artificial flavorings and MSG and yeah. go, okay, well, that's why yours is so cheap. You know, you're using the cheapest stuff you can find. That's um, so true. Yeah. So it's going to be education. That's what we're going to focus on the most. And I think that's going to help us grow the most as well. Okay. And um, just to wrap up, if you had to kind of go back to that road trip to Vegas and start all from scratch, what is there something you'd do differently? Yeah. I mean, if I knew then what I knew now and, you know, if I knew that we were going to have enough demand for our product in such a short amount of time, I would have just started without a contract manufacturer and just got straight into it myself. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, like you're making a craft product, you're making a you know handmade product. You want to have full control of it wherever you can, where, you know, our bags aren't see-through. So a lot of the time you'd be sending stuff out and you're just like, oh, shit, I really hope this batch is good. (laughs) (laughs) Really hope they haven't stuffed this one up. That's the biggest thing I would change, I think. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, before I let you go, we're now going to do my favorite part of the show, which is called fast food five. And that's five really fast questions about food. So are you ready? Yep. Okay. So the one flavor you thought would work, but really, really didn't. Oh, uh, kiwi fruit habanero. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds interesting. I I would yeah. think that would work. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, there was too many. There was too much acidity, too much sugar. There was just way too much going on. That just sort of just broke the meat down too much. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So I know you're in the jerky business, but if you weren't smoked salmon, salami, or jerky, which one would you eat the most? Smoked salmon. Hmm. Yes. Um, and breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Favorite meal of the day? Dinner. Dinner? Is there any particular reason? Uh, just because, I mean, we get up really early, don't really have a big breakfast, sort of just have a, a piece of fruit and some water and, a, and coffee. And, uh, yeah, my, my fiance is a really good cook, so um, she, she always puts it on for dinner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. And ketchup or barbecue sauce? Uh, barbecue sauce. Oh, yes, I'm team barbecue as well. Yeah. All right. And favorite thing to buy at the petrol station? <laughs> Obviously uh, not the jerky. <laughs> uh, petrol <laughs> can get you a lot of, <laughs> can get you far. <laughs> I like that one. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Ash. It's been lovely chatting with you. And um, yeah, I just wish you all the best. And hopefully we will be seeing the bootleg jerky at all the petrol stations. And then, you know, petrol maybe won't be like everyone's favorite thing to buy anymore. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.